You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm with Jeroen Korthout, who is the CEO and founder of Salesflare, which is an intelligent CRM built for SMBs selling B2B. It's mostly popular with agencies and SaaS companies. And Salesflare itself was founded when, uh, when Jeroen was co-founder of another company called Liven, and he wanted to manage the leads for, the, for this software company in an easier way. So they didn't like to keep track of the, of the leads manually, and they built Salesflare, which pulls customer data together automatically, and the rest is history, as they say. Salesflare is now the most popular CRM on Product Hunt. It's the top rated on review platforms like G2 for its ease of use and its automation features. So, Jeroen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you, Paris. Doing well. I, I want to correct one thing. Uh, the The company that we used to have was called Explore Plus. So I, it's 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 not in the bio I sent you. And it was my co-founder was called Levin. Uh, Oops, I'm very sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Okay. But either way, I think this is a, a story that we see often, which is that you're working on some other product product or project, and you realize that something is still not good enough, and you decide that um, you're going to fix the problem by starting your own thing. Is that generally what happened? And can you walk us through that that story of how you founded how you founded Salesflare? Yeah, that's that's very much what happens. I um, <clears throat> I personally I, I worked. Previous to Expo Plus, I worked in a marketing consultancy called Across Health. <laughs> the name doesn't matter. Um, uh, where we used to work for big um, pharma, um, mainly, and some biotech. And we would help them to basically digitalize their marketing and sales. And we used a lot of Salesforce in there. I was very popular with big companies. And uh, we also had Salesforce internally. And Salesforce was my very first CRM. And I... Uh, I took it very seriously. Um, so I really tried to organize myself in there because they told me that's that's what it was for, right? Um, but I didn't manage to. It was it was quite cumbersome. It was slow. Everything seemed like it was from sort of another enterprise planet. I was used to these very simple uh, to-do lists. It was called Wonder List. I had it on my phone. It worked perfectly for me. And then in, in Salesforce, all of a sudden, I had to fill out this whole form and then uh, it, if I would, it, it would trigger another one. And the notifications would only come if I opened up Salesforce, lots of stuff like that. Um, in the end, I reverted back to uh, my old ways. I stopped using Salesforce. I saw that uh, most of my colleagues uh, weren't really using it. They were just putting in opportunities uh, to report to management. It was really more like a, a management reporting tool than it was a sales tool. And uh, even at some point, one of my colleagues said like, Oh, maybe you shouldn't put the opportunities in that early. You should maybe wait a bit for management. I mean, because otherwise management is going to expect stuff. So don't do that. Um, so really, really minimal use. 
And I didn't do anything with that insight for a few years until we were working on Expo Plus. And we actually needed uh, a practical sales tool to help us follow up leads. Uh, and I knew that Salesforce wasn't uh, helping with that. We looked at the market, we looked at different solutions, and we found some really nice things, much, much more helpful than Salesforce. But in the end, they always still failed on us, or, or actually we failed on the systems. So what we noticed is that at each time we um, sort of got in this downward spiral where we didn't fall, like input the data in the CRM as well as the system expected. So because it expects you basically at any moment to fill out, like you, you meet a new person, you put them in the CRM, you place a call, you put in the CRM, you send an email, you put in the CRM, you have a meeting in the CRM, you see an email signature is like copy paste into the CRM. A new person is copied in. You're like, ah, oh, I know a new person at the company, you put it in the CRM. And if you don't keep up with it uh, like that, then at some point the system doesn't contain all the information you cannot rely on it anymore uh, to be a, a practical sales tool for you to help you. And then, you know, you, you, you start filling it out less. And then in the end, it, it's just you stop using it and it becomes useless. And um, at some point, we were working a lot with data and we figured like, okay, but this data, it already exists in different places. You know, the emails and the people you're in contact with and the email signatures and all this kind of stuff, relationship strengths, that's all in your mailbox. Then you have meetings in your calendar and people and, you know, people you're in touch with. There's uh, calls in your phone, which you can be connected via the phone numbers to the people. There's email tracking, we can connect website tracking, company databases, social media, and you name it. And if we just connect all these things together, the system, as a, computers are really good at doing that. People are not, not great at that. Uh, but computers are great at that. And then it would just feed it uh, to the salespeople. And they can then uh, use that information to manage their sales in a way better way because there, there's going to be much, much more data available in a, in a much more easy way um, than you would ever do manually. Uh, and that was in 2014. Um, we started Salesflare, I think about exactly seven years ago. Um, and now we have over... 2,000 companies using our software actively. Um, we are, I think, rated number three on G2 uh, for ease of use and uh, number one, actually, for ease of implementation. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of happy customers. And we're, we're uh, growing. It's it's not super easy because we're up against a lot, a lot of big competitors who have way more money than us. Um, but it's going well. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, what, in your opinion, when you, when you started the company in 2014, based on these pain points that you just laid out, which mostly has to do with people spending too much time in the CRM and trying to keep it up to date and less time selling and making yeah. deals. Um, and I do think that that is a common pain point that I, that I see a lot of CRMs trying to address. What, in your opinion, what has changed in the CRM space in the last seven years? since you started? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, in the beginning, when we started like uh, synchronizing emails, people thought we were crazy. They said like, oh, but you know, why would you have your emails in the CRM? You, you should only have the important ones in the CRM, all the rest. People, people were like of the, of the idea fed by the, the salespeople of CRM companies 
that you should only put the really important stuff in a CRM. And that was mainly because, I mean, if you would put in more, that would be crazy. You would have an enormous amount of work. Um, nowadays, I think every CRM out there has a sort of uh, email synchronization feature. If they don't, they're way behind. Um, we've seen CRMs becoming more and more about uh, communication, uh, putting that like at the center, something we did from the start. Um, and that the data is basically like, it, it's, not, it's not so much an address book anymore. It's more and more a system uh, that you use to communicate follow up on communication, which is in the end what sales is all about. Sales is not about having a, a database. It's about communicating with people and because communicating, that's building a relationship, right? Um, I think that's what I've seen mostly in the last seven years. And, and recently, um, we're also seeing that CRMs are becoming more and more the sales tool. So they've been evolving from, uh, let's say, databases to sales communication platforms and they're becoming more and more sales platforms absorbing more and more of the sales automation stuff you've 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 seen popping up in the last seven years mm -hmm. it's all being integrated in the crm now because that makes sense that's where all the data resides where it should come together um and obviously there will still be tools um built around salesforce because there's so much to complement in Salesforce that they don't have. But the, the small business CRMs are absorbing all that uh, functionality really quickly. Mm -hmm. And can you explain the decision why to focus more on small businesses as opposed to try to go up to mid-market or enterprise? Yeah, the vision we had for enterprises, which is what we started initially on, uh, is what we focused on in the very early stages. We thought we were going to build a sales platform. We thought like, you know, these big companies, they have specialized platforms for to do support. You know, they have Zendesk or something like that. But for sales, uh, for some reason, um, salespeople still have to work in the CRM. They have this generalized experience, which is not really built for them. It doesn't help them, you know. So we're going to build a sales platform and that's going to synchronize with something like Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics. Um, and we talked to a lot of enterprises about that and they were like, yes, we have an issue. <laughs> all of them had an issue. Uh, but all of them thought like, well, this is really interesting, but we would just like Salesforce to be fixed. Uh, we don't want another tool next to it that's going to synchronize with Salesforce. We we don't see that as a great solution. Uh, just because the the paradigm was like salespeople, they work straight in the CRM. And it was really hard to shift that. And then we actually also saw that um, enterprises are slightly less interested in uh, practical use. They have a bit more focus on the organization than on the the end users and on the practicality and and and, and the the lower level well lower level <laughs> results. Um, but for small businesses, we were in a startup incubator at that moment, and the startups around us were like, "Oh, what you've built looks great! Like it automates all of the stuff I'm doing now in in CRM X." Uh, can we use it? And then we we decided at some point to go for small businesses. We saw that it was it was a huge challenge because um, 
if you go after small businesses, you can't just have a few contracts and, and, and be break even. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, we took the challenge and uh, it's, uh, it's uh, slowly working out, let's say. Mm-hmm. Is there a direct relationship or connection between positioning for small business and also uh, also positioning as the best in terms of ease of use? Is there a relationship between those two or, or is that a coincidence? Um, no, I think the, the one goes hand in hand with the other. Um, if you want to at, at, at attract small businesses, they want something practical, they want something easy. It, it needs to be out of the box, go fast, help them. Uh, they don't want to lose time on stuff. Uh, plus, we also get a, a large amount of uh, people trying out Salesflare, starting with Salesflare. Um, if everything would be super difficult, we would be, uh, well, it would not be profitable for us because we would have to do an enormous amount of support to get people uh, to get people up and running. Um, so we make everything as easy to understand as possible. You can do everything by yourself if you like to. There's really like you, you get on the software, it shows you how to work with it. Then there's a checklist to check you off. It motivates you by giving you extra days on the trial if you do things. It has videos, it has articles, like everything is there. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, if you need us, we are there. Uh, we can help with anything and we go further with our support than, uh, than many others. But we try to make our support unnecessary. Um, that's, that's our goal. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular industries that you feel are more appropriate or do you have a higher concentration in certain sectors or industries within small business? Yeah, we, we have higher concentration in uh, agencies, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a broad thing, but it's it's a lot of digital marketing agencies. Um, it's things like events agencies and consultancies and actually also software development companies uh, that write software for others. Um, and then on the other hand, we have a lot of uh, tech companies uh, historically, mostly startups, but uh, it, it, we're, we're attracting more and more medium-sized ones as well, um, like uh, telecom operators and stuff. Um, that's that's the main two personas on Salesforce. And then we have some others uh, okay. that are more niche. Yeah. I'm interested in your opinion on, on the relationship between the CRM category and this new emerging category, which is sales enablement uh, with the likes of uh, outreach IO and others like that, Sales Loft, who are, I think, focusing more on the actual outreach elements of uh, mm-hmm. sequence to nurture sequences and outbound outbound sales. Um, how do you see that relationship? Do you think um, do you think that these categories might wind up merging in the future? Uh, they will certainly merge, and they will first merge in small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, actually we've, we've built in, uh, an email outreach tool in Salesforce already, uh, last year. Um, so you can use Salesforce from, from outreach to closing. Um, and I, I, I can see that going further and further in the enterprises. It might, uh, stay, uh, specialized solutions for a while. Um, everything there is uh, built up of uh, you have your Salesforce and then you have all these different hubs and then whatever, uh, whether it's an, uh, an internal soft 
like a Salesforce application or one from another vendor. I don't think it matters too much. Uh, they're as difficult to integrate to each other. So mm-hmm. um, there, I, I see it. I see it taking a bit longer. But in small businesses, the 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 merging is going really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's quite common actually to see small business um, even leading the way for innovation, ju- just out of necessity. Uh, yeah. Because they, they tend to move faster, they tend to make decisions faster because of lack of um, size and bureaucracy. So the, the big companies move move like a like an oil tanker, but the small businesses are more nimble, like speedboats. Yeah, yeah. I, I often see uh, trends starting in small businesses. Then the first companies who go on these trends, they go up market, as they say. They go to the enterprises because there's more money there. Uh, they leave a, they leave space in the in the in the small businesses. Then an, other players jump on that because the the solution that used to be for small businesses is now for enterprises, and the small businesses feel like what what is this? And then um, as as the markets sort of start saturating, then you see a lot of niche players coming in that take different niches, and then at some point uh, the whole market starts starts absorbing. Um, markets around it basically uh, which is the stage we're currently in with uh, crms yeah i think among all the SaaS categories that are out there i think crm has got to be one of the most mature and, and also complex in terms of uh, just in terms of its development because i think it was one of the founding categories of SaaS actually and in terms of all the other all the other adjacent categories that are emerging around it. And some of those are getting eaten by CRM, the CRM category, and some of them are sticking out their own categories. And it's very dynamic. And then you've got Salesforce, which is probably still, it's the name in SaaS, I'd say even today. It's uh, it's uh, still 20% of the market, yeah. And, and I think still yeah. growing. Um, they're having a hard time in small businesses. I think I don't have data on it, but when I hear people talk about it, uh, yeah. It seems like the small business market has has, uh, has given up in Salesforce, but uh, I'm sure it's, mm-hmm. it's still thriving in enterprises, and I'm sure there's still a lot of enterprises who have some really old system that they can replace. So mm-hmm. they they won't uh, they won't be gone for a while. Is did HubSpot try to fill that void because Salesforce was never really a good a good answer for small business? When HubSpot, HubSpot is to, definitely to... trying to do that, yeah. Uh, HubSpot is probably the biggest player uh, out there right now in the small business space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we're mostly compared to uh, because they just have so much money. There's a they're a publicly uh, traded company. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, generously overpriced their uh, software, so they have a lot of money to throw at attracting new customers as well. Uh, they make about uh, 10k per uh, company per uh, year. I don't know whether you know how much that is, but it's a ton of money. Just oh, because okay. you know you get in on a free CRM, but then they upsell you uh, like with an enormous amount of packages that rise really quickly mm-hmm. from there. Um, it's working out very well for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting strategy because they have a uh, they have an easy entry point with the free CRM. You quickly you quickly run into the limits of that free CRM and realize that you need more, and then from that point on, I think it's a slippery slope. And I've talked to a lot of people that have been on HubSpot and said, "Wow, the the price increase, it's like uh, 
you just blink and then you're paying another twenty dollars a month for something else. And um, I think that that kind of works against them in some way. But um, the, I'm sure they've tested it and they've managed to figure out where is the sweet spot between that kind of pricing, which really upsells very quickly, and also the retention rates, and which is going to max out lifetime value the most. And I saw that as the first big CRM brand to to go all in on product led growth with the with the free CRM because the other players Salesforce hadn't done it. I'm curious to know if if you have ever thought about going for a free a freemium type of a, a product and taking the same route that HubSpot took with product led yeah. growth. First of all, uh, HubSpot was definitely not the first one to go for product led growth. I think it was the last one, but they're the first one to claim okay. they. They do it with everything. They do it with like inbound marketing. Uh, inbound marketing exists. They claim the category. Uh, they say mm-hmm. we are the leaders, whatever. They do the same with product-led growth now, but this has mm-hmm. been around for forever. I mean, yeah. uh, Zoho has been doing it, which is huge. Uh, mm-hmm. Fresh Sales is younger, but they have been doing it for a long while. Uh, mm-hmm. Bitrix has been doing it since forever. You know, There's all these players out there that have been doing this. Uh, now just HubSpot says, well, we are whatever. Um, we have tried a free plan uh, for a bit. The reality is that it didn't really convert as as well for us as our free trial. Um, I think it's mainly because of volume. Um, if you don't get the, the the crazy amount of volume, then it probably doesn't pay off. Uh, because what people are doing anywhere is they're comparing different CRMs. Um, so they're, they're, they're making a bunch of trials next to each other and they see which one they like the most. And I think price is a, is a smaller consideration there. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it, it didn't work out. We did, a, a sort of behind the scenes, um, kind of trial without, without scrapping our free trial model, uh, publicly. Um, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I, I was just also ch- checking out some of the, the pricing plans, and I think there's some established levels. I know I was looking at uh, pipe drives pricing, and you all are only differing in the middle plan by about ten dollars a month or ten euros a month. And I also think now that people are relatively, I think they generally know what to expect in terms of what they should be paying for a CRM given a set of features, and it's going to be more about other less tangible factors the ease of use, the UX, the adoption rates that they see in their team using the product. And, and I think this is probably what, what is making the final decision. I think it's spot on. It, it, yeah. it should at least be the thing that uh, makes the final decision. I mean, uh, would you go for a CRM that your team is going to use or one that your team is not going to use? Uh, I think that's the that should be the main deciding factor because if it's if it's a CRM your team is not going to use then you better get none. Uh, so I think if you if you make a, a list of criteria for you to choose a CRM put that on top. Are they going to use it or are they not going to use it? Mm-hmm. And then and then from there you can add other criteria. But check that first. Involve your team. Have them try it. See whether they like it. See whether they see themselves working with it consistently every day. If that's a check, then you can go uh, for other checkboxes. Yeah. Now, salespeople um, sometimes need a bit of an incentive too, to to do a good job keeping the CRM up to date. 
Do you think it's a good idea for salespeople to be partially compensated on their use of the CRM? I think it's a it's a possibility, but it's not. Um, I only I only see this kind of things, at least in our customers, being implemented in those that don't take the um, the real issue seriously. Like uh, the 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 main thing is uh, you choose you choose a CRM that is that is going to uh, fulfill your goals because there's many different CRMs out there. You make sure that your team is going to use it uh, by involving them in the process, by seeing whether it's actually something they want to use and stuff. Then uh, you sit together with your team and you uh, figure out how you're going to use it together because you can use the CRM in many, many different ways. If you do all these things, then I think you're on a path to success. Um, like compensating salespeople um, based on whether they fill out the CRM or not is usually uh, used as a, as a quick fix, but one that, that really is like a very um, dangerous one because what will happen is you, you will have to define what it means to use the CRM well, and then people will do exactly that, but they will not use the CRM properly uh, because that's not, that's not the, what's, what is communicated to them. What is communicated to them is like, if you fill out, X opportunities a month and you put in X calls, you get money, <laughs> you know, for instance. Regardless of the results. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, I want to now dig a little bit deeper in, into some of the marketing efforts and what I'm seeing and using some of my tools. And I want to start with organic SEO. Unfortunately, I can't share my screen, but let me just describe to you what I'm seeing. Something happened around March 10th, just yeah. about three weeks ago. Something happened and your organic traffic exploded. Now, you know what I happens? Aware of that, right? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna you. reveal the secret uh, for you. Uh, it's a it's a it's a scoop. First 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 time I reveal it. It's also been since the end of March. Uh, we upgraded the performance of our blog. That's all. <laughs> when you say you upgraded the performance of your blog are you talking about the site speed or are you talking about the content yeah so there were a few basic things that we solved first um, there was um, our hosting provider in Cloudflare which we use as a, as a CDN um, they were not really communicating with each other well like the, the hosting provider had this kind of filtering thing that if uh, from uh, the same IP, it would get a lot of visits and Cloudflare is often the same IP. It would start blocking it. That was one thing. But then mainly from there, um, what did we do? We replaced large images with smaller ones. Um, we did a few extra performance fixes, but I don't remember the specifics. Um, we also worked a bit on uh cumulative layout shift this is when a page is loaded how it then shifts but in the end it was mostly about loading speed and um, google uh, rewards loading speed a lot apparently we were also very happy to see that uh, mm -hmm. if we would have known we would have uh, started way earlier uh, with fixing this kind of stuff we weren't doing badly though but it's just that that extra I think we went somewhere from in the 80s to, to around 90 or, or 100 for most pages on the blog in terms of uh, score on, on, on Google PageSpeed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just skyrocketed things. And which tool are you looking, by the way? Is it HREFs or? Yes. Yeah. And just for the sake of the audience, what, what we're talking about, this explosion, what we're talking about is at least from what I'm seeing is somewhere around 10,000 organic visits a day, just 20 days ago to today, almost 18,000. So you're quickly on the, on the path towards doubling your organic yeah. search traffic in about a month, which is yeah. amazing considering that you're not going from one to two, you're going from 10,000 and you're, and you're about to hit 20,000 in the last month. I have very rarely seen something like that. And thank you for sharing the the secret sauce because I've heard both debates about page speed and there's a lot of case studies published out there that show that um, that page speed actually doesn't move the needle as much as people do believe. But it sounds like in your case... We didn't do anything else on exactly that date. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's great. One other thing that I noticed about your blog... Well, there are a couple of things that I want to point out. The first is your cadence. You're blogging almost uh, at least uh, more than once per week. It looks like in some cases there are weeks where you publish two or even three times per week. Do you have a strict uh, editorial calendar that you stick to or how do you you instill that that level of discipline and consistency with the blog? Um, We we publish every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, actually. Consistently, um, I think we haven't missed one uh, in a year or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I must admit, some of that is republishing, so well, a lot of it uh, at the moment. But um, we republish a lot of stuff. We update it, um, then we post it again, and that also helps to then push up that post in the rankings more and more. Uh, Google likes that you keep stuff up to date, uh, promote it to everyone. People don't don't know anymore anyway that that you've that you've written this uh, months or years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you promote it again, uh, it's just uh, it gives a good ROI, and the post mm-hmm. keeps keeps going up in the in the search rankings. Yeah. Um, how do we do that? Yeah, we just plan for it. That mm-hmm. point. Yeah. <laughs> What kind of what kind of a content marketing team do you have? We have none. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, sometimes I I have uh, experts write posts. We don't use copywriters. We've we've done a bit of that in the past, but it was really not a great experience because um, I would basically end up um, writing the the outlines for the posts to such an extent that uh, I could have written it myself. And then cleaning it up afterwards and stuff. I mean, at some point I figured, why don't I just write it myself? Um, because what you have very often have with copywriters is that they, you, you, you have them write about something they actually don't really know about. And we write a lot about sales. And that's one of the, probably one of the most difficult topics because copywriters don't know anything about sales. And uh, finding sales experts that um, can write well is also really hard. Uh, there's some out there. Usually because they can earn a lot more selling than they can writing. Like writing about selling, I suppose. Yeah. And I think there's something about salespeople that doesn't make them great writers. Um, I don't know. Um, they're, they're, they're usually better talkers than writers, if that makes sense. Um, oh, perfect sense. 
Yeah, there are some sales consultants that that are better at it. Um, I I try to find those people, uh, and we also do post on other topics like we startup funding and content marketing and stuff like that. Um, and then I try to set out a schedule and have them uh, write uh, write the the the, the posts like a, a large series of them at once. Um, we also have a podcast running, which is a, a way easier way to create content. And then we have our product updates and things like that. Um, and then in between, we just take old posts that we republish, update a bit to make sure that they're uh, they're up to date, and then uh, repromote them. I want to I want to drill dive into the podcast point there because I recently launched this podcast just a couple of months ago. And one of my goals was, in addition to uh, thought leadership and building an audience, was actually to come up with an easier way for us to create content. Because I really enjoy talking a lot more than I enjoy sitting down and writing. And I felt like if I just have natural conversations, then our team can repurpose that into blog posts and other formats. And it's working great so far. Um, How long have you been podcasting? Um, three years now, almost to the, to the date, I think. Um, I started it off as, uh, I thought it was an interesting sort of, um, type of content for startup founders, which is an important target group for us. Um, I'm, I have a podcast in which we look, uh, for the, the, the person behind the company, usually well, slightly well more well-known companies so that people can identify with them. It makes the the founder journey a bit uh, less lonely if they can see that other people are going through similar things and also just humans. Um, so I, I try to focus on that. The, in terms of uh, type of content, it's not our most successful one in terms of readership, I think. Uh, it does attract um, a nice audience, which is nice about it. Um, what I mostly do it for nowadays is it for is for networking. Uh, I can um, send a message to someone uh, and say, "Do you want to be on the podcast?" And then I uh, can interview them for an hour, basically ask them a lot of personal questions. It's really nice. Um, we had some good partnerships coming out of that already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. It sounds like you spend a quite a big chunk of your time on marketing. About how much? How does your, how do you divide your time? How much is on marketing and how much is on other parts of the business? Probably 60% of my time is on marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, the rest is all kinds of stuff, um, including uh, finance and HR and uh, things like that, but also a lot of uh, product stuff. Uh, probably product is after marketing my main uh, thing I'm busy with um, and then sometimes helping with um, supporting some customers here and there and helping with partnerships so yeah I, I think that seems to be a pretty healthy amount for, for marketing um, as a CEO and I guess your background was a little bit in that area so you you feel comfortable with it just the level of depth that you're speaking about about keywords and content and, and even things like um, the um, 
what what Google calls the the so called the core web vitals that you described. These core web vitals where page layout shift now is a big big ranking factor. I mean, you have to dig into tools like Google Search Console to actually to see that and to optimize for it. So it sounds like you really your your depth your depth there is quite impressive. Um, and where do you want to go with with the company from here forward? I mean, you're seven years in now. You've established a great foundation and a nice base of customers. I think the category is still growing and it's very dynamic. So where do you want to take this? Yeah, we are. Um, so we started with very small companies. We're taking on more and more mid-sized ones, uh, adding some extra functionality to make sure that they are uh, in the right place, uh, that they, there's nothing they miss and stuff. Um, and, and secondly, it's, it's really focusing on seeing what else in the sales space we can do better, what we can help people with absorbing some of the functionality that I talked about earlier, uh, so that your CRM really becomes a a more and more powerful tool for, for you to, to help you do sales. Um, that's what we're really focusing on. Make, make, uh, sales really easy, like make sure that people can build really strong relationships without having to be stuck in software uh, while doing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to, to discuss a little bit of the paid advertising strategy as well, because from what, from what I see, it seems to be fairly minimal in terms of paid search spend. Uh, how is that going? What's your approach with, with paid advertising? Uh, it's, it's very minimal indeed. Um, the thing is, if we would just throw money at the, the things like just Google ads, um, as we talked about earlier, there's some players that make way more money per customer than we do. So they easily outbid us. Um, we have to be a little smarter at things. Uh, so we will, we will go for some, some more, uh, niche or long tail things, um, we will try to be listed on different sites uh, in, by partnering up. We will um, get in front of other people's audiences, like getting on this podcast, for instance. Uh, mm-hmm. We will focus a lot of our, on organic. We will focus on building a better product that people actually use. Um, it's this kind of stuff that makes a difference for us. Uh, if, if paid ads would work for us, sure, we would throw money at it. We would raise money, throw more money at it. But it's unfortunately not how it works. Uh, it's not that easy uh, for us in the CRM space. So we do lots of other stuff. Gotcha. When I Google a lot of the trophy keywords, like best CRM for small business and, and the like, what I see consistently ranking organically, not the paid ads, the paid ads are the big, the big players with the big budgets who can afford those high CPCs as you said, but the organic results are pretty much dominated now by your uh, Capteras and G2s of the world, the the aggregators and reviews platforms. Do you have a particular approach or a strategy for gaining presence on sites like G2 and Captera? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do uh, on G2, uh, which is what we mainly focus on. We would just ask people to review us. Uh, that's our strategy. <laughs> it's very simple, uh, but it gets us uh, reviews and it gets us rated. So we are the, I think, top 10 rated on G2. 
uh, were the number one uh, easiest to implement, second one in terms of support, third in terms of ease of use, and I think also second in terms of best results, like best results from implementing the CRM. Um, and that's just, we, we just ask people. It's, it's, it's not more complicated than that. Sending automated emails and all this kind of stuff never really works. It's really when you ask as a human being to another human being, uh, that's still the most powerful thing. Um, and yes, there's G2, there's Captera, and there's lately also been some trust radius. Uh, but next to that, there's also lots of other sites popping up. Um, those are also interesting ones to focus on. Mm -hmm. When do you think is the right time to ask for a review? Um, when people are excited, uh, we're, we're, we're still figuring out exactly when that is, but, uh, um, when they're, um, new on the software, when they're, um, signing up the moment they pay, um, when they are super happy with the support, uh, you know, this kind of moments. Do you implement anything like NPS surveys that go out? Yeah, we, we, we have a, an NPS uh, thingy that asks you like how happy you are. And if you give a good score, it's like, do you want to review us? And then uh, people can say yes or no. And then um, we see that most people who say yes, and they're, they, they're redirected from there to the review side, right? Most people at that moment are like, eh, not too busy. I mean, there's nobody looking, nobody asked. It was just the computer asking. They're like, okay, whatever. And they don't fill it out. So, But we keep track of it and we still ask these people personally, um, which sometimes works out. What works out better is just if you're actually in a conversation with someone asking you, asking you at that moment. That mm -hmm. works well. Yeah. I have to believe that you all internally use sales, Salesflare. Am I right? As we use Salesflare, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think all the, it does make sense that with small businesses, especially, I know that you could say all, all businesses are about relationships, but especially with small businesses, um, I think it's even more so the case and a CRM that can focus on the, the, the maintaining quality relationships and using those relationships also as a way to win business is really key. And a lot of that comes down to even the context, I think, which is that, Definitely. hey, we learned that, um, I don't know, Yarun was just in the news recently because they launched a new feature. So I'm going to reach out and just congratulate him for that. And I'm going to, I'm going to nurture that lead. I'm going to keep it warm. And these, these little things and these little gestures, I still believe that most salespeople don't go to the effort to do that well. Um, not just to keep, not just keeping a lead warm, but doing it with the right context, actually. And um, I think it's especially true with small business. Yeah, although I think enterprises also have a lot to win um, when it comes to building relationships. They can, it's just that in many cases they're so badly managed and their software doesn't allow for it that they just don't. <laughs> and that you feel like, okay, this is the, the, the fifth salesperson I'm, I'm talking to now and, uh, and uh, they don't know what the others knew and they're just taking me for the money. And, you know, if you have this kind of feeling, I think as an enterprise, at some point, you're also going to start failing uh, if that's how your customers feel about you. Um, 
but yeah, small businesses are, are definitely leading the way there. Um, they do it at a different scale. They have better tools. Uh, so. mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Jeroen, this has been great. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, nothing I can think of. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations with the, with the success so far with Salesflare. It's going to be exciting to see what comes next. It's certainly one of the, the most dynamic categories in SaaS. So I think the, it'll, be, it'll be a great journey. Even though it's been a great seven years, I think the next seven is probably going to also be quite interesting for Definitely. you. So I wish you all the best. And thanks for, thanks for spending time with me today. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. All right. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day. <laughs>